I'm just honored to be able to piggyback off of um, what Dave and Chad have been doing um, over this last year as your church has been going through the four-part story, the grand narrative of Scripture. And uh, we're continuing this morning in Revelation, and uh, we're going to be reading from Revelation 4, 1 through 5, and then I'm going to drop down to Revelation 5, 1 through 5, and we'll be discussing uh, both chapters, both 4 and 5. So church, this is God's word. Uh, You can stake your whole life on these words. This is the good news. And uh, John is receiving more of his vision here. And let's read together uh, what John sees after he's seen the vision of Christ. This is what he says. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here. And I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the spirit and behold a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Five, one through five. Then I saw in the right hand of him who seated, was seated on the throne a scroll. And written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And church, this is God's word. Can we pray together before we go further? God, our Father in heaven, we praise you that you have gathered us into your presence this morning. And God, we need your grace at this moment to read your word and to see it. We need grace to accompany our eyes and our ears that we can get this imaginative, otherworldly vision that you have recorded for us through your servant, John. God, this morning, help us to see with heavenly eyes. Help us to see what you have revealed in your Son. And we praise you for all that you will do. And we praise you for your word. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. And the church said together, amen. Well, as I mentioned, you've been studying the four-part story of Scripture as a church, which is a miraculous journey, by the way. Uh, creation, rebellion, redemption, and now we're talking about restoration, the restoration of all things. 
And we've been learning in Revelation specifically how God always finishes what he starts. And we see his faithfulness in this. And Dave showed us two weeks ago this incredible vision that, that God gives John of Jesus. When Jesus appears before John and sees him in the midst of the candlesticks. And then <clears throat> last week, uh, we saw that, uh, that uh, not only is God going to do that through the vision of Jesus, but Chad talked to us about how he's going to use his church to accomplish all this. And it's all being worked through Jesus and with the church being used. And it's really been, I've had the honor to prepare for this, to have to go back and listen to those messages. And uh, they have been a challenge for me. And I, I want to encourage you that hopefully uh, we can contribute some to that this week. And the goal really is to look at this amazing vision that John continues to have. And we're going to see how God is going to use this key word that I want you to get this morning. God is going to use reorientation. Reorientation to teach us that he is in control and he is going to accomplish all that he has promised. So Revelation 4 and 5 in one word is all about, in a way, reorientation. Now, you might not, uh, hopefully you've heard that word, you might have different definitions in your head of what I mean by reorientation. Well, to, to reorient someone or something, I figured we could give a definition, at least in our English language, okay? So if you, if you really got to pin down what we mean when we use that phrase or that word, to reorient has kind of three meanings, at least in the Webster's Dictionary, and I'll give you those. The first one is to change the orientation or direction of something or someone, or to reacquaint Someone, especially oneself, with a situation or an environment, or to change the goal or emphasis of something or someone. So, with that definition in mind, I want to ask you have you ever been reoriented? Has anything come into your life that has reoriented you in some way? Uh, I find that jokes sometimes help reorient me. Uh, one of my favorite ones is, what's the best part of old age? That it doesn't last very long. <laughs> that joke actually teaches a subtle truth, if you think about it, that life is short and we age. And sadly, the reality is we continue to age until we die. And it's a funny way of thinking about that, and we laugh together, but jokes oftentimes can do that for us, can't they? They can teach us a simple truth and allow us a way to laugh about it. But it really reorients you around the shortness, the brevity of life. I think uh, another thing that reorients us is life itself. I mean, things happen to us in life, don't they? Uh, things come along that reorient who we are. This type of thing really starts in the earliest ages. My... Uh, <laughs> My earliest memories of a, of a strong reorienting experience was when my dad would give me a certain look as a child. I don't know if you had a parent that had that look, um, but there could be a look across the room and immediately I'm like, uh-oh. And my whole world in just a split second is reoriented. I was currently under the impression that I could do whatever I wanted to do and that I was in charge. 
But that look comes into play, and immediately I'm re reoriented real fast around the reality that I am not in charge. And I, I'm not going to be doing whatever I want to do much longer. And it changes the way we see things, right? Um, those might be some maybe more funny examples, but life doesn't always give us um, moments that are humorous that reorient us. Uh, I remember a, a time, a pretty serious and meaningful moment in my story that really reoriented me. Um, I, it was years ago. Uh, those of you that might know a little bit about my story, I was raised um, in kind of a fundamentalist Christian context and really went away from that as an older person. Eventually was a, a doubter and pretty, a pretty um, aggressive doubter and, and eventually even an atheist. And uh, when I came back to faith, those of you that might have had that similar journey, it's not always a light switch where you instantly don't struggle anymore. Uh, I continued to wrestle with doubts for years. And I was having one particular low season, and I have a little bit of that seasonal effective thing that many of you probably have, where the darker and colder it gets, uh, the more I want to kind of hibernate and hide from the world and eventually, you know, ball up in a ball and do nothing. <laughs> That's me. Um, well, this was particularly happening one winter, and it was in the dead of winter, and I was struggling with doubts about God and myself and life. And um, two of my friends, one of them was Blake, another, another one was Wes. Uh, his name was Wes, Wes Lane. You might know of him. He, um, we, we went away on a sort of camping trip uh, to a, uh, a retreat center, and it was way out in the middle of nowhere in the woods, and uh, we had a, a fire we had started in the fireplace, and... Um, in the middle of the night, they, they knew that the real reason they had taken me was they wanted to encourage me. They wanted to love on me as a friend. They knew that I was in a dark place. And um, while we were there in the middle of the night, as I sometimes do, I, I got a, a wild hair and wanted to go off on an adventure with my two buddies. Uh, it's pitch black. It's probably midnight. And I don't know if any of you have ever had sassafras tea, but you dig up a sassafras root in the woods. I'm a redneck. I apologize. You dig up sassafras root in the woods. Uh, there's a certain way to find the tree, and you boil the root, and the tea's really good, and it also makes the room smell Christmassy. So we set out on this adventure to find sassafras, sassafras root. Well, we're searching all through the woods. Hours are passing, you know, and uh, there's this trail that you follow. I mean, there's probably a bear waiting to eat us. You know, who knows what's going to happen? Um, not really a safe thing, but we're... We're walking all through these woods, middle of nowhere. Well, as you know, out in these places, there's no light pollution. Um, and you remember, I'm wrestling with the existence of God, in a way, or at least the, my connection to God and uh, my trust um, for Him. And I was really thinking all about, you know, what was going on in my life. And while we're on this little adventure, I remember we came around a corner and it was pitch black and so quiet and so cold. And I had been chatting with them at the end of this hike. I had been chatting with them about my struggles. And we rounded this corner and I was completely dumbfounded because as soon as we walked around the corner, we kind of came up on a high piece of land and was overlooking a perfectly calm, glassy pond. And then right as we all reached the edge and looked into the heavens with all that you could see, if you've ever been in a truly dark sky, you can see part of the Milky Way, you know, the, the, the concentration of stars. We look up and we were almost 
breathtaking and how beautiful it was. And at that exact moment, as if someone had hired Disney to orchestrate it, right dead center of us, as we gaze in the heavens, directly across the sky shoots a star. And I'll never forget that moment. You might say you saw a shooting star. I mean, big whoop, I see them all the time. Well, in that moment, with that setting, that event reoriented me. Because in a, in a blink of an eye, I, I felt struck by the idea of how truly small I was. And this vast cosmos lay out in front of me. And I thought about how our ancestors had worshipped and wrestled with God and how I had been thinking so much about my world and what was going on with me that in that moment it was like it all melted away and I was reoriented around the simple truth that it's not really all about me. It's not really all about even my little story. I'm a part of a much bigger one. And it's amazing how these experiences can shift us. You might have had something like that. You might have had something even more negative. Um, I know Dave has shared with me constantly his journey uh, with this battle, with this terrible thing we call cancer. And it's been a reorienting experience for him. Maybe you've had something like that. Maybe you've had a, a terrible tragedy in your family. Maybe you've been struck by something. Or maybe uh, you're just coming to the faith and you're seeing the beauty of who Jesus is and it's beginning to reorient everything you know and think. Well, this morning, church, what we just read and what we're going to look into is we're going to look at one of the most reorienting experiences in all of redemptive history. This one scene that we just read reorients everything, not just for John and the world, but if you get it this morning, if you can see it, if you can grasp it with spiritual eyes, it will reorient your entire life. It has that ability. So here John is recording the, the continuation of his vision, right? And it's interesting how gracious an act of God this is because I don't know about you, some of you are probably uh, curious people, maybe. I'm an extremely curious person. It's contributed to 90% of my problems in life, by the way. Um, but if you're really curious, then you want to know and understand. Well, very rarely does God entertain that. But we get a little taste here where God in his gracious wisdom pulls back the curtains just a little bit to show John what is really going on in the world. And it's going to show us that as well. Now, I hope you, you, I know that you as a church have already studied Revelation a few years back and you've already gone through it some. Uh, you have to remember that Revelation is not a code book, right? Uh, it's, it's full of symbols. It's more like really a coloring book. So it's got all these illustrations and symbolism. Well, you know, spoiler alert, I'm not going to go through every single symbol here because that's not really the point of what we're doing. If you want to know more, go back. I would refer you to Dave's study through Revelation. It's fantastic. We'll hit on a few of these, but what I really want you to get is what, what John is seeing here, the main uh, truth behind this vision. So what we're going to do 
is I want us to walk through the basics of the vision without getting lost, and I want us to try and imagine it together. Now, some of you won't struggle with that, the imaginative ones, but those that struggle with imaginations, I'm praying for grace this morning because you need that. We're going to go through the vision, imagine it together, and we're going to discuss two very important, hopefully simple things that reorient us around God's story of history, okay? And now I'm going to show you my hand up front so you can go ahead and prepare. The two things are one, an occupied throne. That's going to reorient you this morning if you get it. An occupied throne and secondly, a coronated king. If we can see these two things as a church today, this will reorient us by God's grace. So let's look first at number one, an occupied throne. Revelation 4, 2, he says what? At once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. So if you've read that, you probably have more questions than you have answers, like what's all the thrones and the the beasts and the the seven eyes and seven horns? Is that supposed to comfort us? You know, again, symbolism here. You know, try not to go literal with it. It means things. Without unpacking all of them, John sees this insane vision Now, he's already seen Christ. Can you imagine something more overwhelming than seeing Christ if he appeared to you? Well, right after seeing the risen Christ in his glory, a door opens to heaven. Now, this isn't just like to the stars or to the sky. This is like the third heaven. This is where God himself dwells in all of his majesty. And a voice says to John, John, come through the door. Come up here. And immediately, John's in the spirit, and he's standing. He has this amazing vision of a throne. Now, we've lost the splendor of thrones in our day because we don't do thrones in America. You know, uh, maybe privately we do, but we don't in an enshrined way. You know, but the queen, you know, just passed away, and there's a new king on the throne of England, right? So we still have the idea of the royalty, the majesty, the splendor of a throne, The symbol of what it is is radiant and royal. And there's a being on this throne. And he's described in different ways. He's like, you know, uh, rubies and and, and carnelian. These are precious gems. And basically, he's royal. He's radiant. And he's surrounded by 24 thrones. Most people think that's, you know, the 12 apostles and the 12 tribes of Israel. It's a representation of his people. His people are enthroned around him. And then there's... Coming out of this throne, if you can imagine it, there's literally lightning and peals of of thunder that shake the room. And John has the amazing ability of seeing this. And around this throne is a gorgeous, perfectly calm crystal sea, as if it's glass. And then surrounding directly around the throne, there's these strange beings that everybody has tried to codify and mean a thousand different things. It's pretty simple if you if you're, take it in a childlike way of a coloring book. It's these four gargantuan beasts, these beautiful creatures. One looks like a, a lion, and one looks like an ox, and, a, and one look, has the face of a man, and one's like an eagle. And, if, and they got all these wings and eyes, and basically they represent like all this power of nature and of creation. The most magnificent creature you can fathom was around the throne. There's four of them. 
And what does it say that they do? This throne is there in the middle. All this is going on. And what does John see? Those four creatures in all their power and glory. John, and by God's grace, God is helping illustrate how significant the man on the throne is by giving us these images around this throne. And this is what these mighty creatures say. They cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And get this, every time in heaven that these mighty creatures do that, the 24 elders fall down and cast their crowns down and fall on their faces and they cry this, Worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Church, this is nothing less than the throne of God himself. And let me give you something this morning, church. If you want the most reorienting truth that you can fathom, then it's this. The throne is occupied. That throne is occupied. Do you get that, church? At the center of this cosmos, of all of your lives, of all the chaos, perceived chaos that you've experienced, of even the darkest parts, the suffering itself, at the center of this universe, there is a throne, but it is not vacant. The throne is occupied. This means nothing less than God reigns, church. He reigns. Now, I get that that might be hard to digest and believe this morning. I feel that. But imagine being John. John wasn't given the option of digesting it or not. God stuck John in the room. Could you imagine going with John and having this vision? What would you be like afterwards? You, you would never ever have, the, the ability you would have to have to, to get people to see, they'd probably think you were a crazy person. Like, I have been to heaven, I have seen the throne and God sits upon it, church. And people be like, oh yeah, well we're Christians, we believe that, that's great, you know. But that's not, there's no, that's not the same power if you were John, what would it be? If you had the ability to be there, well guess what, in God's wisdom, and through his grace, he's recorded this for us, that we can experience with John this reality. Church, if we believe God's word, if we as Christians believe that John was who he said he was, then this happened. And this means that behind the curtain of history, the throne exists. There is no chaos ruling this earth. There is no rogue molecules. Uh, history might seem demented and rogue at times, but this shows us that actually, no, there is one on a throne who guides all of history. In spite of the free choices of wicked individuals, he moves it all to a, a sanctified and glorious end that he has established 
before time began. And it's all going to terminate with this person on the throne staying on the throne. God reigns, church. He is at the center of your world more than you know. And what I hope you get this morning is that God being on the throne ensures that he's going to keep all his promises. Can you imagine with me being the early church and getting this letter sent to you with all the suffering and persecution they were going through? Can you imagine being more edified than they were by reading this? That you know what? It feels like Domitian. It feels like the Roman Empire is, is going to destroy us. They're going to kill us. They're feeding us to the, to the lions. They're mocking us. They're lighting their gardens with our dead bodies. We're going to lose, Jesus. Where are you? And what John writes and sends out, could you imagine us reading it as a church, a letter? And in this letter... God reminds us that he's still seated on a throne. and He's in control. And he can work good even in our suffering as a persecuted church. But church, it wasn't just good for the early church. It's good for us today. All his promises ring true. He's going to complete everything he started in your life. Not just the early church's life yours because there is a throne and that throne is occupied church that truth reorients us but not only is there an occupied throne but secondly i told you a coronated king now we we witnessed as a western culture a coronation recently so you have fresh typography to digest what a coronation might seem like well, I want to read you this amazing text. We've already read that, uh, that John then sees a, a seal, a scroll in the hand of God with seven seals on it. And what it represents, as Dave has unpacked in the past, it, it represents this grand plan of history, this perfect plan of redemption. And I'm sure when you first read this, you're like, you know, what an odd thing to cry over. You know, John looks and there is a being on the throne and he's glorious, but he's holding in his hand this scroll. It's got seven seals on it. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth, that's a great way of saying no one, period, anywhere, was worthy to open this scroll. And John cries with a loud voice. He's brokenhearted. He weeps. Why does this move him? Why, why is this something that causes tears for John? You know, that's something I probably might not have wept for. But you know, have you ever mourned that this world doesn't make sense? I have. Have you ever mourned the, the pains of this life and thought about this can't possibly be worked for good? There's no way. You see, here we see all of the cosmos in travail because no one is worthy to open this scroll to, if you will, unravel the mystery of redemption, the mystery of the universe itself. No one's worthy to make sense of this scroll. 
But what happens, church? Then the angel looks at John and he says, Wait, wait, weep no more. For the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. And he can open this scroll. And you know what? Something significant happens here, church, that we'll miss if we read fast. He looks. So for some reason, John wasn't looking at this particular spot, and he was listening to the angel. And the angel said, Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. What do you think John should expect to see? A lion. And he looks to find the lion in the room. And what does it say? Can I read it for you? This glorious text to finish out this vision. This is what John saw. Revelation 5, 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lion. No. I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. And with seven horns and with seven eyes, perfection, which are the seven spirits of God sent out in all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, what did they do? They fell down in the same way they fall down for the one on the throne. And they worshiped and they fell down before the land and then they sang this new song and get this song, church. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. They give worship to this lamb. And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels Get this, church, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. The entire cosmos has now gathered, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said with the church, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. You know what reoriented John Church? It wasn't just that, that throne was occupied. It was a coronated king. What you just witnessed through my words, through the revelation of John, was nothing less than the crowning of King Jesus on the throne of the universe. And he, was, he, is, the lamb, he is the lion of Judah, but he didn't conquer the way lions conquer. How do lions conquer? 
They bite, rip, tear apart. When John looks, what was crowned? He saw a lamb as if it was slain. This lamb had its throat cut, church. This lamb was blood-soaked. This was Jesus. He didn't conquer through tearing and ripping like a lion. He conquered through allowing himself to be torn and ripped in our stead. And that type of a king is now placed at the center of the cosmos itself on its very throne. And church, if that's not the best news you've ever heard, then, I, then I'm going to have to shout for you. Because that tells us that all of history and all of its darkness and its pain and its anger and all of the evil that we experience daily as people, all this suffering we deal with, that God identifies ultimately with us in that suffering. And that the being actually in charge is not the bad people. It's not the wicked demonic forces. It's not the, the richest and the most powerful and the cruelest. The way the world tries to get us to see this world often, guess what? We know the secret, church. The one that's actually enthroned is the suffering servant, the butchered lamb who stood in the place of his people, God incarnate, identifying with me and with you in our suffering and saving us from our sin. And church, this is a reorienting vision, King Jesus. And this seals for us that all the promises that we've been talking about in the study of the four-part story, they all arc, culminate, and terminate in Jesus. Jesus is the one on the throne. He's bringing it all together. And he's going to save us, church. And it's going to happen. And if you can see that this morning, that Jesus is king, that it is finished, and that the king reigns, he's on the throne, then it can reorient you too. So church, you may need a reorientation today personally. I don't know your story. Uh, if you're an unbeliever here, I would tell you you've heard the gospel in the service and what we've read and what we've sang and what we've preached. And I'd encourage you this morning, look to Jesus. Cling to him today. He can be your king. You can be washed in the blood of that butchered lamb, made right with God, reconciled, a part of the assembly, a part of the family. And I'd encourage you to repent and believe today. But if you're a believer here, and nothing I could say of my own power could probably speak into the lives of each one of you, because you all have all these different things going on. But I want to tell you today that nothing has ultimate power over you because Jesus is king. There's one being that has ultimate power and he's on the throne. And all these other forces that play in your life don't have ultimate power over you. God is going to keep his promises. 
Love has conquered. Jesus is king. And no better way to prepare our hearts for this table than when we approach it and see the gospel in form. His body has been literally broken for you. His blood, the lamb's blood poured out for you. So as we prepare ourselves, can I pray for us? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we praise you for the gracious act of recording this blessed vision that you gave to your servant, John, that we could see it. Thank you for reminding us that behind the curtain of history, there is a throne. Someone is in charge, and it's you. And we praise you that in your infinite wisdom, you sought not to crown the, the most wealthy, not to crown the most brute strength powerful being, but you crowned the, the lamb, one who was born of flesh in a manger, to live a life of weakness and suffering on our behalf, and who went to the cross to bear the weight of eternal justice for all who place faith in him. We praise you for that this morning, God. We praise you that behind the curtain of this world, there is no hypocrite. There is no little man pulling gears. There is no secret show and there is no chaos, but there is one personal triune God who rules and works it all for our good and his glory. Help us to see that this morning. We praise you for it. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.